0: Today marks the 247th birthday of the United States Marine Corps. I am honored to work alongside a group of men and women who embody what it means to have honor, courage, and commitment. Happy birthday, Marines, and congratulations on 247 years of warfighting excellence. And of course, tomorrow is Veterans Day, so I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to thank all those who have worn and still wear the uniform. Thank you for your service. Have you ever wondered how Marines who might be operating out in the middle of nowhere have access to fuel and clean drinking water? These two resources are critical to sustaining our Marines in any environment. From fueling our bodies to powering our vehicles, clean water and fuel are vital to the survivability of our forces. Current and future operating environments require resilient and stable water production capabilities and versatile fuel systems with a minimal logistical burden. Marine Corps Systems Command's Fuel and Water Team is tasked with equipping the Fleet Marine Force with fuel and water systems to enable battlefield responsiveness, lethality and sustainability. They provide full life cycle support for the Corps' fuel and water systems. Today I'm excited to have the man who ensures Marines have access to clean water and fuel in any climber or place, Major Craig Warner. He is the team lead for fuel and water in our Logistic Combat Element Systems portfolio. Welcome to the show, Major.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate
0: it. So before we get into what you do, tell us about who you are, where you're from, and how long have you been in the Corps?
1: All right, so Major Craig Warner joined the Marine Corps in 2001. I'm from Holland, Michigan, originally. And interesting thing about me is I entered in the Marine Corps as enlisted reservist, water purification specialist. And here I am finding myself 21 years later on the fuel and water team.
0: So that's my question. Did young Craig ever think that he would be the Marine Corps fuel and water guy? No, no. It, uh, I don't think anybody really would have traced this
1: out. But what happened is I, I went into the reserves uh, fully thinking I was going to pursue a aviation contract and go the officer route, right, and go through the aviation pipeline. I did so. Went to aviation school, flight school down in Pensacola. Ended up uh, realizing while I was there that that wasn't the thing for me. Redesignated into supply, I became a supply officer. That lent itself to a contracting officer tour, in which time I got exposure to acquisitions, at least loosely, through Master Gunner Sergeant Schofield, who was my procurement chief at the time, and her husband, uh, Lieutenant Colonel now retired uh, Tony Schofield. Tony Schofield well. Yeah, uh, they've developed a relationship with him. Became a uh, a mentor and helped guide me into putting packages together and submitting for eighty sixty one lateral move.
0: Wow. I mean, we're glad to have you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I think about water, clean water, I think of what comes out of my faucet. But I imagine that some of the places that Marines travel to, there are no faucets, no gas stations. So, what exactly is the role of you as team lead for fuel and water and Walk us through what an average week looks like for you and your team.
1: Okay, Uh, so opening comment there would be tied to the team lead, the lead part of it, right? So the leadership aspect. My team is the key ingredient to the success for my programs. And so in order for me to support their efforts, it's very important that I lead from the front with them and and take their interests, take their thoughts, their opinions, their positions and ideas and present them forward to leadership as we codify acquisition strategies and as we execute those uh, against our programs. And then we make adjustments on the fly because that's what we do all the time. So that's the leadership part of it. Um, So I'm very pleased with my team, got an excellent team that I work for. Second part of it is my PM loves to say, it's not all about the money, but it is all about the money. So it all comes down to budget execution uh, with respect to our programs. So we have we end up working and tying in with our requirements developers over at CDNI. We get a requirements transitioned over to us, and now we're executing those acquisition strategies against our programs. So I find myself chasing and 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 running down where am I at in terms of my milestones for my programs? What programmatic documentation do I need to do? Which key uh, milestones coming up? Test and evaluation events that are coming up. Uh, as well as the um, uh, funding execution that's associated to those so that I can uh, tie into supporting OSD benchmarks. right? Um, so I find myself uh, spending a lot of my day-to-day activities and working with my team on this as well, understanding where are my programs at in terms of their current um, milestone events, programmatic documentation, test and evaluation events, Um, fielding decisions so on and so forth and then how does that correlate and tie into my program funding against those programs uh, so that i can understand so i understand one and two uh, ensure that we're executing doing budget execution on track towards meeting osd benchmarks to protect our funds for the future years because i have a lot of work to do ahead of me and i need to make sure that i have that funding in order to do it so that's, that's some of the pieces that I have. I do have some bi, bi-weekly battle rhythm events within my team, just standard things, fiscal focus type stuff, um, quarterly risk management board type meetings, uh, as well as a, a bi-weekly team meeting uh, where we bring in the whole, the whole team level with it and have discussions at that level so that we can all sync up with each other, especially when we're working inside of... Uh, 59 Tech Parkway is where LCES is currently located in a modern distributed workforce environment. So we don't see each other every single day of the week. So it's critical for us to have that touch point. We see each other weekly, but have that touch point on a bi-weekly basis where we're surfacing uh, matters up to the team level, wherever there needs to be a decision or something that needs to be conveyed forward to the PM.
0: Excellent. Excellent. All right. So fuel and water to most of us, myself included, they seem like they're two extremes. We've always, you know, they don't mix and all that, but for the purpose of keeping our Marines running, tell us about how you go and put the two together and a little bit more about your program.
1: All right, yes, fuel and water, they don't mix very well, I would agree. Um, what I would say is the, the the commonality between the two in terms of our programs comes, runs back to the fluid. The, the fluids, right? Water is a fluid. Fuels of fluid, right? So in terms of pumps, filters, hoses, tanks, there's commonality between our programs, SL3 components, so on and so forth. And so that's kind of where, where they're tied together. And then I would also lump them together in kind of a, an overarching you know, mention that they are critical uh, classes of supply, right? right? In order to support the warfighter and, and to carry out operations, quite frankly. So... Water uh, is critical to that. And then fuel is the acknowledged pacing commodity. So in order to get after, you know, execution of future operating concepts, there's a large focus on, you know, one sustaining forces inside the Wes, Uh, how do I do that? And that's what my team is currently working on, crafting the solutions for at least the material solutions for to meet our requirements.
0: So let me make this a bit of a choose your own adventure uh, thing here. Would you like to talk about fuel or water first?
1: Well, let's talk about water first, because water, I can typically talk about a little bit faster. Fuel uh, consumes quite a bit of everybody's time, so let's
0: go there first. All right, good deal. I think that the number one question about water uh, that we all want to know about is how it's pronounced. Is it potable or potable? Is it tomato or tomato? Well, that's... I'm asking the questions here.
1: (laughs) It depends on uh, maybe where you're brought up, you know, and where where you come from. But uh, I say potable. Some people say potable. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here.
0: All right. Well, so we have the Marine Corps expert on water who says potable or potable. Either one. Good to go. I'm going to say potable. That's the final. So potable is, we're we're picking one. All right. Thanks. (laughs) From the accessibility to safety, water continues to be a challenge. What do we do to find and purify water wherever we go?
1: With respect to water, one of the Key things that we do at the onset of a mission, right, is the, the mission analysis and understanding the environment we're about to operate in. And in terms of water, obviously need to identify water resources that we can tap into. So we do we kind of do that leader's recon aspect of it. And now I have capability, equipment capability sets that I go out and I can actually start to exploit those resources. So the first capability I'll talk about is the water quality analysis set purification, SP. And it's hard for me to pronunciate all that stuff because I usually just say walk at speed. It's much easier. (laughs) We live in an acronym-rich environment. (laughs) Exactly. So that kit essentially allows us to go um, pull a water sample from any water resource, right, and test it for any contaminants that are inside of it, determine the salinity levels of it, and also will identify any toxic industrial chemicals or toxic industrial materials that may be in that water Uh, that stem from activities, you know, human activities that are around the area. So once I have an understanding of what it is I'm working with, now I can take in my systems or equipment sets that are inside the portfolio and actually lead to water production. And I can do that dependent, tailored to the needs of of the mission commander. So am I supporting at the company or battalion level? Am I supporting platoon platoon level uh, purification requirements? Am I supporting at the squad level or even something at the individual level?
0: So you talked about uh, hazardous materials and, and other contaminants get, that can be in the water. What about radioactivity? Do Correct.
1: Yeah, so seaburn is also addressed within our capability sets. They're designed so that they can leverage a water resource that's been contaminated with seaburn and purify it out so that it's actually portable water. Or we can use it for uh, washed-on operations to clear off and decontaminate.
0: Okay. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for uh, for clearing that up. How are you and your team working through these challenges to ensure that Marines have the water they need to remain hydrated? So, one, I think,
1: uh, be remiss to not say the fleet involvement and this, and also the involvement of our requirement sponsors over at CDI. So, understanding what's the what is the requirement and what's the capability gaps if they exist that we need to fulfill. I think we have a good understanding that the requirement transitions over to Marine Corps Systems Command. Some of the things we're working time now to get after supporting force modernization 2030 is moving towards more modular, scalable uh, scalable systems, right? So to give the commander flexibility to choose a capability set that applies to their specific mission parameters as opposed to having logistically burdensome and, and heavy systems that we've uh, employed as part of our legacy system portfolio. Right now we have the lightweight water purification system which is currently fielded to the fleet with an enhanced production module, excuse me on that one, enhanced production module, EPM. And what we're doing is we are taking the, that system as it currently exists, applying an ECP on it to add an additional raw water pump to it that basically pushes the system to produce at its max capacity. And so at its max, at its max capacity, it can produce uh, over double the amount that it can currently produce and we're only adding one additional quad con worth of footprint um, in order to field that capability. So that system right now can then be leveraged in either a small, a medium, or a large package based on the commander and the and the need uh, for that specific
0: mission. So to double capability, you're neither doubling, you know, the the cubic space it takes or the weight you're just adding a much smaller. Correct
1: still focused on keeping the fleet as light as possible at the same time looking at how can I make this a scalable uh, system so that commander has flexibility and then also this thing will lend itself when it's when it's fully fielded the, the the actual modification kits it'll lend itself to the Marine Corps being able to make smart divestment decisions with respect to other water purification and production systems that are in the inventory that just don't quite fit the mold with respect to supporting uh, expeditionary advanced base operations, distributed
0: operations. We obviously do a lot with the Navy. We, we never go anywhere without going with the Navy or thinking about the Navy. So when I think of the Navy and water, for them, it's desalinization. So what about us? What, what, do we, what do we do? So our systems are, one,
1: that we are employing two of our systems, like the Lightweight Water Purification System and the Platoon Water Purification System. The Navy has those systems as well. They operate off of reverse osmosis. That's how we get the salinity out. That's also how we address ticks and TIMS, which is the, the toxic industrial chemicals I mentioned earlier. So our systems, both the Lightweight Water Purification System, the Platoon Water Purification System, uh, as well as the legacy tactical water purification system all all effectively remove the salinity and make it potable water.
0: Okay. You've mentioned the lightweight product water purification system a number of times. I think we're working on a 3.0. Yes. So what can you tell us a little bit more about that, the capability and uh, where are we in that acquisition process? Yeah, broadly? so
1: uh, kind of alluded to it a little bit. So. We're executing the ECP on it, so the engineer change proposal. Uh, We just completed product verification testing. What's gonna happen with this system is is essentially an additional raw water pump that allows it to increase its production capacity. Uh, So right now, having completed PVT, we will start to see these kits uh, procured probably late second quarter into the start of third quarter of FY23 and begin issuing them out to the fleet. And flesh out the entire AAL uh, with that enhanced uh, capability.
0: Second quarter 23, just a couple months from now.
1: Just quarter, yes. Excellent. Right. It's right upon us.
0: Right, I, we both look at our watches and uh, <laughs> mine doesn't actually tell me fiscal year, so <laughs> maybe they gave you a fiscal year watch. Yeah, no so. kidding, right? <laughs> All right, so we've talked a whole bunch about water. Let's change gears and let's talk a little bit of fuel. Okay. When the Marine Corps, when we're here in CONUS, fuel can be as simple as driving up to a the quarter gas station pump, but operationally it cannot be that easy, I'm sure. So can you describe to us the challenges that Ford deployed Marines experience with getting fuel and how does your team involved in meeting those challenges? Sure.
1: Kind of start, my answer sort of starts the same way as the water side of the house, right? So where am I operating at? What's available to me? What are the resources that are available to me? And then how am I actually going to go about... um, Either procuring those or making a suitable um, source of supply for myself. The challenge that we're faced with right now in executing, executing expeditionary advance base operations is sustaining the force inside of the weapons engagement zone of our adversary. I have a distributed force operating, you know, over an extended uh, period, miles and miles apart from one another. And each one of those specific sites may have a specific requirement with respect to their fuel demands for that given operation. I need to make sure that my capabilities, one, provide them the ability to operate at their scale. That goes back to scalability and modularity, so on and so forth as well. And I also need to be able to tap into and leverage Host Nation resources so that I can cut down and reduce on the log trains that or some you know may otherwise be untenable to support. A couple of the systems that we're working towards uh, that will enable that capability is one's the Petroleum Expeditionary Analysis Kit program, which is an analysis kit. Peak, right? So we're participating with the Army uh, on that program, and what it does is essentially allows a operator to take a sample source very similar to water, the Waucus P right? Analyze that source, understand any sort of contaminants that are in fuel, what's its composure essentially, what what sort of additives are in it already, what does it lack in order to convert that fuel into mil-spec fuel, so that we can apply it and use it in aviation or ground assets. So we have that kit that can identify that, and then we have the expeditionary mobile fuel additive capability which is already fielded to the fleet under a UONS, but now it's transitioning into a program of record. And so we're gonna buy more uh, systems to flush out a higher AAL, but at the same time, we're fielding a um, newly improved configuration baseline. It's gonna allow for the maintainers to maintain it uh, with more ease than the previous uh, system that was fielded. That system is utilized to meter into uh, the fuel additives. Right, so we can additize the fuel to make it into that mill spec grade fuel uh, so it's usable, and we can then therefore exploit the resources at the point of consumption as opposed to having to pull it through a log train that may or may not be supportable at that
0: time. Are you also able to? So, if you find fuel that doesn't meet the spec we need, are you able to just like you do with water, are you able to purify? You know get the extra phosphorus or so you know whatever's in the the fuel can you purify it for our usage as well so we have so
1: the systems that we employ also have filter separators on right so we can pull things out that don't we don't need in the fuel source don't want in the fuel source and then we can also add it so we have ways to make sure that the final product as it goes into the aircraft or as it goes into the ground system is the usable product
0: Okay. Now do you do all of this? So there's obviously certain areas of the world where we go where there's not going to be as much of an infrastructure for us to be able to just pull up to a gas station. But if Marines are driving around Norway, do you test the gas that you can buy on the local, that we, the Marine Corps, can buy on the local economy? Or do we just accept that it's probably going to be good for our use? No.
1: So every time we're going to place fuel inside of one of our vehicles or, or air platforms, we're definitely going to validate that it is a good usable source. So... I think what you're what you're maybe mentioning is like if there was a, a fuel farm there that's available, then we, then that and that kind of sense of like a garrison environment, right? We would be buying that fuel and just using it outright. But when we're in an expeditionary environment, we're certainly going to be testing that source of supply and turning okay. it into what it needs to be in order to utilize it.
0: So like right, so there's a NATO spec or something for fuel, and correct. Well, yeah, well the mill mil spec for it. Yep. Okay, excellent. I, thanks for clearing that up for me. All right, so your team recently worked with TUMEF on uh, an expeditionary fuel dispensing modernization system. What did that effort involve, and why is it important to decentralize our fuel chain?
1: Yeah, no, this was an excellent effort. In fact, uh, we just uh, wrote up an article, I think it's in draft, and that'll be uh, released in here soon enough, so it'll be a little bit more detail than I'll talk about right now. But we partnered with our uh, partners down at Logcom as well as TUMEF, and brought out some of their operators as well as their maintainers to Albany, Georgia. They were there for a 60 day period of time through the month of August into October. We just concluded this effort here about a week and a half ago. What we did with respect to that is went through, did a full on inventory of the tactical airfield dispensing system and the amphibious assault fuel system that are in the barn down at, down in Albany. These are, we're talking about, uh, massive logistic footprints. I'm talking, you know, tractor trailers worth of SL3 components for one single system. So these Marines, they worked hard. I assure you they sweated. Uh, and Well, they, they were in Albany. You're they, sweating when you're in Albany. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And they touched literally over 44,000 um, individual components uh, through their time there. What that did for us is identified some things that we have gaps of information on from reporting that's inside GCSS Marine Corps right now. GCSS Marine Corps will tell me I've got a number on hand, but I don't necessarily know what the condition code of that is because the condition code, uh, quite frankly, it's been in the barn so long it just hasn't hasn't been touched and that's, too, that's not really a fault of anybody. There's just not enough manpower and resources to go around, right? So this got their hands on that. Also touched our temporary storage projects that have SL3 components in them that are tied to those systems why though right the bigger why is the expeditionary fuel dispensing system that you mentioned at the at the start of this question we are in receipt of the requirement to fulfill the uh, efds and guess what it's going to be small medium and large packages right and what it's going to do is it's going to refigure and reconfigure excuse me and refit capabilities out of the aphis and the Taftus systems which are our legacy systems that a logistics footprint that kind of lend themselves more towards a liquid mountain, right? which is not going to be tenable in the future. And we're going to break them down into small, medium, large capability sets once again to provide the scalability, modularity, flexibility to the commander to provide and conduct um, necessary fuel operations in order to support their specific mission set. Right. That's kind of where we're at with respect to what happened down in Albany. The effort just concluded. We are now shifting fires over to Barstow because we have Taftus and APHIS systems in Barstow as well. So now we're going to tag team with one MEF and head out there in, uh, I think it's planned for January or February start for an inventory effort out in uh, uh, lovely Barstow, California.
0: Which at least in January, February, maybe you won't sweat as hard in <laughs> yeah. Barstow. So yeah. <laughs> nice planning. Yes. So, yes. Right, so Naval, we're the Marine Corps, everything we do is naval. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of board ships, Navy ships. Fuel is constant need for them as well as us. So how do we collaborate with our Navy brothers and sisters and as well as the other services?
1: That's a great question. And some of it's secret and I can't tell you because it has to be. No problem. So I
0: don't want to be killed today.
1: (laughs) No, I would say my my initial response to the question is we are directly tied into uh, a lot of the modernization efforts that the Navy has underway time now. Uh, with respect to addressing distributed maritime operations, so they're kind of doing they're doing this thing and the modernization effort concurrent with us, and we're working hand in hand as we should be on those efforts. We specifically have a partnership uh, going on with ONR, so we're with Office of Naval Research. We're also working with Marine Corps Warfighting Lab on an effort to develop prototype efforts uh, or develop a prototype uh, to inform future requirements for we'll just say sustaining forces inside the weapons engagement zone. We're also following some of NSWC Carderock's efforts uh, with respect to some of their console tanker modernization efforts that they have so we can understand how is UNREP gonna happen in the future. All right, right, so we're also working with uh, NSWC Carderock and following some of their efforts on the sea-based petroleum distribution system uh, modernization, modernization effort that they have underway which is essentially the replacement that's been identified for the legacy OPDS system, which is the Overseas Petroleum Distribution System. They're taking that capability, breaking it down again into smaller sets so that they can address fuel demands at X points, uh, additional, beyond just one single point, we'll just say that. Okay. So we're following our efforts there, and then I would be remiss if I didn't mention our, our Army brethren because they serve as the PICA, which is the primary inventory control activity for most of our uh, equipment sets that are inside of our portfolio. To that end, uh, Logistics Combat Element Systems is engaged with, in home on home event relationships with uh, PO, CS, CSNS. Um, and we have uh, one actually scheduled coming up in February timeframe of this coming year to just cross collaborate on our programs. As well as you know, um, get our messages synced up uh, for congressional level uh,
0: discussions. Okay, thank you. All right, so Marines operate in every climate and place. How does the need for fuel and water change in different environments?
1: Well, okay. So how does it how does it change with respect to the operating environment? Well, thinking hot, thinking cold, thinking. Maritime environment, thinking desert environment, we still have to be able to respond as a a crisis contingency response force across the globe. I would say kind of taking this question and diving a little bit deeper, it makes me want to talk about one of the efforts that we have underway on the water side of the house, which is we're experimenting with atmospheric water generation capabilities. Think of your dehumidifier in your house on steroids. Not necessarily on steroids, because we're trying to actually make it smaller. But well, right Luke now, Skywalker
0: <laughs> was a moisture farmer on Tatooine, so yeah. we're all familiar with that. Yeah.
1: We, um, uh, right now, have procured various atmospheric water generation capability sets. And for experimentation only, farmed them out to a couple units within the fleet and received feedback on that to inform requirements. Generation, but also validation of uh, adeons that CDNI is sitting on right now that CDNI has in-house right now and is evaluating. So one example I'd like to uh, discuss is the uh, team's efforts with experimentation for atmospheric water generators. Think of your uh, dehumidifier inside your house um, on steroids. So. We're, we have procured some of these systems and, and, and farmed them out across the fleet um, to experiment with them back in FY22. Received some of that feedback back, and we're sharing that obviously with our counterparts and our capability integration officer of CDNI to inform requirements. Uh, CDNI is in receipt of a DNS for uh, this type of capability, um, and it's being evaluated through that lens, but we're also evaluating it through. Ongoing discussions between CDNI, Marine Corps Systems Command, and Defense Innovation Innovation Unit, excuse me, on what we're going to call water-on-the-move technologies. The key thing that we're trying to focus on is the reduction of the energy demand from an atmospheric water generator. Because right now, the amount of water produced against the amount of energy consumed, it's it's imbalanced. As we can mature the technologies for atmospheric water generation. There's there's a lot of uh, industry partners that are focusing on this. DARPA's got things going on with respect to atmospheric water extraction. We see and learn from those and then eventually uh, refine it and potentially receive a requirement down the road to actually pursue and procure uh, atmospheric water generators. I think where the idea is going with that is passive water production on the move passively. So the unit is operating, doing business inside of, underneath the lens of, or the, the context of expeditionary advanced base operations. We're distributed, we're moving, we're doing what we're doing. And this thing is pr- producing water at a, at a relevant scale, we'll say, so that the unit's not tied to a specific water source where they actually have to be pulling the water out of and producing, they can make it on the go. So that is an effort where we're we're leaning into at this point in
0: time. Logistics. It's critical to sustaining all of our operations, especially fuel and water. They're heavy. They're bulky. Can you give us a little bit more about what your team is doing to modernize the Marine Corps' fuel and water systems? Sure.
1: Yes. Well, I kind of touched on it a couple different times in the interview, and it really comes back to a wholesale evaluation of the portfolio legacy systems inside the portfolio, And then we're in receipt of requirements already where we're moving towards that small, medium, and large uh, capability set. What that does is it takes that larger, say for example, the uh, amphibious assault fuel system, talking about- um,
0: You said enormous. A
1: massive footprint uh, on the deck, right? Creating essentially that liquid mountain is is what I would like to refer to it as. Can't do that in the future, so we're breaking those down so that the 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 mission commander on the ground, who's operating, um, you know, on this EAB over here, and the one that's operating twenty miles uh, north of him on this EAB over here, has the has the capability they need at their specific location, and it facilitates their understanding of what they need to embark in order to execute their mission, so on and so forth.
0: How do how do we how do you program manager for fuel and water systems? How do you evaluate a fuel or a water system? Define evaluate. Well, I mean, test and evaluation, DT, OT, what makes a good one, what makes a bad one?
1: Okay. All right. Good to go. I mean, I, I was just taking it, I was thinking of it a different way, but uh, yeah. So all of our systems go through, you know, standard test and evaluation. So for our, like our water systems, we're partnered pretty heavily with NAVFAC out at Port Wieneme. Uh They did our product verification testing for the LWIPS 3.0 modification that we're running right now. They've got the uh, resident knowledge subject matter experts there in order to evaluate that system effectively. Another system that we've been, or another prototype, it's not a system, it's not a program of record, but another prototype that addresses squad level water purification requirements um, is been evaluated at uh, Army Soldier Center, Natick, And they are doing the uh, TIC-TIMS testing for that specific system to make sure that it in fact produces safe drinking water. And then we also partner with NAFEC on that one uh, for the testing of the actual form and function of the capability. One of our systems that we're working, or one of our programs we're working right now, is the Tactical Aviation Ground Refueling System. It's got quite a bit of attention across the fleet. It facilitates FARP operations, two point FARP operations. I think it's very important to note that that system, what, is, what, what has been seen in the fleet and has been experimented with inside of WTI, is in fact a prototype. Uh, it is not the fielded programmer record. We get a lot of RFIs and questions on that. The actual programmer record, the production contract award was let in June of this past year and Darley is the um, OEM vendor on that and they currently just went through critical design review here two weeks ago and we're closing out the CDR and about to have Darley build out the four, four low-rate uh, initial production systems, and we'll take those to product verification testing. So we're going to partner with Nevada Automotive Testing Center for system testing, as well as Navair for transport transportability.
0: All right, so when you talked about Barstow and Albany, obviously you're working with LogCom. What about the fleet? Do you, How do you work with the fleet when you're developing new systems, and What kind of feedback do you get from those Marines?
1: Okay, yeah, so the most recent example I will go with is the squad level water production prototype that we're evaluating time now. We actually just completed a field user evaluation down at Victor 2-2, brought the systems out there, had the the Marines touch them and, and facilitate the pack out of them, and then also actually test the functionality so they're not allowed to drink the water out of the system time now but they were able to actually t- test for any pinch points, you know, any ergonomic type issues, noise, and provide that feedback to us. So that's one method. We're planning on having, or we've offered invites to have some fleet representatives show up to the Expeditionary Mobile Fuel Additive Capability um, Product Verification Testing that's going to commence here next month, as well as we're planning on bringing in fleet reps to the Taggers uh, PVT as well. Those are opportunities where we interface with the fleet, where
0: we bring them in and they can see a system that's uh, coming up. So industry, our partners in industry, how do you work with them? And if they've got something amazing in fuel and water to bring to us, how how can they do that?
1: Well, during during my time as a fuel and water team lead, there's been several industry partners reaching out to with you know questions about what we're doing with current programs we're working or they want to present. Uh, technology that they're interested in specifically we did one for atmospheric water generators and we openly invite that you know unsolicited you know proposal type information and then we will sit down with the vendor and have a conversation and get to understand what's their capability that they're they're uh, proposing and, and what w- when do they think it would be available what's its current cape limbs how does it apply to our requirements that we're currently trying to work or future requirements we think are coming down the road so there's, there's that open dialogue that's taking place. There's obviously Modern Day Marine. There's a lot of engagement that takes place within Modern Day Marine. So my team was there interg- interfacing with several vendors that produce a lot of our products. HTT produces the um, lightweight water purification systems. We have those interactions at those levels as well. And then there's just the direct steady, t- steady state communication between the team and, and uh, industry with respect to programs that we're actually working time now. And those are fostering, you know, positive working relationships uh, with that respect as well. A lot, lot of, I'm just going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. With respect to collapsible fabric tanks, those are uh, key ingredients, right, to both fuel and water systems. 20,000 gallon, 50,000 gallon uh, bags, nice pillows to sleep on when you're in the desert. It's great.
0: Do we, do we still use the uh, the large green Lister bags that uh, used to hang from tripods around Fort Benning when I was younger? And uh, nah, I'm pretty sure those been we don't drink that. Drink out of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, coolest, the best water I've ever drank in my life, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of addressing the the industry engagement. One of the, one of the things that the team is uh, focusing on is some level, some degree of product uh, quality deficiencies in our collapsible fabric tanks further I'll refer to them as CFTs and we're really we've done some studies on this already and we're seeing some uh, issues in our seam welds and in some of the corners where there's fuel seepage fuel, fuel light fuel leaks uh, that could potentially become catastrophic if, issues if not patched properly so on and so forth. We are taking those study results seeking to actually expand our collapsible fabric tank study in the future here it, with the end state in mind of coming back and bringing this information having more or less an industry day in coordination with the PICO, which is the Army, with our domestic supplier base. Domestic supplier base for of fabric tanks underneath barrier amendment, you know, we're kind of constricted to those. It's somewhat small. So we want to make sure that we bring that small community in and say, okay, here's kind of what we're noticing in our domestic products. Here's what we're seeing in some of the foreign Predator products specifically, we're kind of looking into a Canadian bag that's produced, and this is where we think we could potentially improve um, upon the product. And then that'll lend itself to feedback from industry, but also lend itself to potentially influence in the mill perf and updating and kind of making that an actual requirement. So the vendors producing that bag get produced to that mill perf standard.
0: What is next for the fuel and water team?
1: There's a lot going on inside of fuel and water as everybody could probably ima- imagine. Excuse me. We're really seeing a lot of work on the fuel side of the house and most recently having a, a more of an uptick on the water side of the house as well. We've gone and increased to uh, 10 decision packages within Palm 25 for fuel side alone. Right now I've got three active programs, two that have transitioned that are, but are still pre-MDD. And then I've got a large-scale prototype effort that I'm developing with ONR. And then we've got some other modernization type uh, decision packages further down the priority list. So there's a lot going on on the fuel side. Uh, On the water side of the house, we've got our focus one, priority one is lightweight water purification system, getting that mod out to the fleet. Very next in line there is Evaluating our legacy shower units, we still got the old bare base shower units that everybody loves to put together. and Not really. Uh, <laughs> so we're evaluating and looking to modernize that capability. So we're not in receipt of a requirement with that. That's kind of where we're in that partnership with the fleet, the partnership with the CIO, and shaping uh, what does that requirement need to look like. And then also looking at you know our hygiene equipment, laundry units. What do those need to look like uh, to support? future operating concepts and then closely tied to that on the water side which is kind of exciting i've talked about a little bit here is that that water on the move and addressing that passive water production capability but also addressing how do i how do i ensure like this at the squad level there's a production capability that's we don't quite have a system in our portfolio that scratches that itch yet
0: Well, let's change directions and find out a little bit more about Major Craig Warner. We have our lightning round. So, are you ready for lightning round questions? Sure. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A fighter pilot. A fighter pilot. And you, you said you came into the sort of went down that path. All right. (laughs) A lot of us don't make any effort when we get older to do the thing we (laughs) wanted to be when we were kids. So, (laughs) do you have any tips for maintaining a work work life balance?
1: For, this is a tough one, right? Every Marine out there needs to understand that someday, sometime down the road, you will take this green suit off. And this one hits kind of close to home to me. You have to prioritize your family inside of what could otherwise just be an all-consuming job. It's very important to do so. Um, I take that near and dear, not only to myself, but also um, to my team members as well. So there comes a time in any given day where you gotta pull that cat car out of the machine and you gotta go home. Um, And you need to go home with some energy to actually breathe life into your family, not just be a passive figure uh, or or dead to the world because you're just so tired from the day. Now, that being said, Marines as well, so we got to be ready on the fly. Uh, Obviously there's deployments that can take place, there's TAD, Uh, so we have to support those missions as they as they arise. Um, That's what the nation calls us for and our family understands that and if they don't understand that, that's imperative on us to
0: relay that information to them. It's a very thoughtful response and I appreciate it. Yeah. What's a TV show, book, movie, or podcast that you'd recommend? kind of lends itself from the
1: previous question here. I recommend to anybody out there the book uh, entitled Love and Respect. It's written by Dr. Emerson Eckrich. It really speaks to relationships. Uh, that book is primarily tailored towards a husband and wife relationship. So it gets back to the family aspect we were just in the previous question, but it, it goes well beyond that. It talks about relationships with your fellow team members, your your daughter, your son, so on and so forth. So you can take a lot of that information that's conveyed in that book and pro- apply those principles uh, to your team and understand that you're, you're working with a person, a human being, and that is the most valuable thing that you have on your team is, is the person you're working with. So understanding who they are, employing their their capabilities and employing them within their capabilities Understanding their family background. It all goes back to that leadership one-on-one thing. So I'd recommend that book to anybody
0: Excellent. Thank you. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be? Historical figure, let's say
1: I would want to have dinner with Jesus and the reason for that is he is the model of servant leadership um, that I try to emulate. And so that would be the person I'd want to have dinner with.
0: Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for all that you uh, all that you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Happy birthday, Marines. And uh, let's Simple go forth to do great things. Rub.
0: Well, this concludes another episode of Equipping the Corps. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. If so, please take a couple minutes to leave us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Until next time, stay safe. This is Trip Elliott signing off.